Well, man, good morning. I always feel like taking a nap when I watch that video. It's just so peaceful and sweet and the, the sounds of the birds. So anyway, we're glad you're here today. Welcome today to Thrive Chapel, whether you're with us in person, whether you're online. Uh, we are continuing to navigate this season of, of COVID. Uh, just like every other season we've had these last 15, 16 months, it has been constantly changing. We've been required as, as individuals, as families, as working professionals, as a church community to continue to adjust and that's part of what we're doing. So a couple weeks ago, we reintroduced tables and chairs to our auditorium to kind of help space everyone out as we continue to adjust to these, uh, to, to just the cases that are, that are um, uh, on the rise. And uh, so we're grateful that you're here in person. If you're watching online, we're so grateful that you're either streaming with us live on Sunday morning or watch us perhaps on replay throughout your week. Hopefully God is able to communicate just as clearly with you through that screen as he, he may in person. So we're, we're grateful for that. So but everyone here in person, let's give those online a big hand and a big welcome today. <clears throat> um, last week, we got into part two of this series entitled Balance, and um, it's always funny because, um, and I don't look for compliments necessarily because I'm kind of an inwardly introspective person, so when someone gives me a compliment, I usually step back and I say, so why are you saying that? So I, 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 I'm learning how to receive compliments. I, I'm not very good at it yet. Uh, but in the lobby, and I, I put myself out there in harm's way, I guess, because I, I stand by the door before you leave, so you have to pass by me on your way out. And what's funny about messages like last week that are very um, personal discipleship oriented, if you didn't, weren't here last Sunday, we just talked about how to arrange your life to be effective and how, how to uh, eliminate wasteful tendencies and habits you might have and really keep yourself in a place of building your life and significance. And at the end of the day, we're probably stuck in certain habits because we don't like to have to change. Even if we don't like the habit that's recurring and, and, and recreating this aspect of life, we don't always like to have to get out of those things because change requires change. And only babies like change. Can I get an amen? That's just the way it is. So on the way out of service last week, where normally I get a lot of, hey, good message preacher, um, uh, uh, it, and the, 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 the compliment I really like is, hey, um, what I heard you say today was from Scripture, and this is how I'm going to let it change my life. That's the one I like the, the, the most, and good, good message preachers, fine also. Well, last week was a big indicator because nobody said anything, which means you're really kind of dragging your soul through all the things you just heard, and you're just not quite sure if it was good, bad, because it's not looking real prospective as to how you want to have to walk through some things. So as the week kind of rolled out, some more compliments came out, and some more stories came out, and I want to share one kind of testimony here family had, had uh, messaged in after the week, and they said, listen, you know, we, we had a, a whole Sunday morning at church and volunteered and served. We got home, and the father said, hey, let's go out to the ball field and, and play baseball with our son, who's a, uh, an avid baseball player. Well, the mom said, I just got so much laundry. I'm all backed up. My, a lot of you can probably contest, you know, or uh, attest to that. Uh, I've just got too much laundry. I need to catch up on laundry. So the husband, the father, kicks back and says, well, what quadrant are you living in right now? Are you operating in? Because that was the part of the message, like you're trying to move out of places of doing and get into places of significance. And uh, so the wife and the mother said, okay, let's go play softball. They go play so or baseball together. They go play baseball. They come back. The family kind of divides and conquers all the activities and all of the uh, chores around the house. They sit down, which allowed the mom then to make dinner, which she says on Sunday she normally doesn't get a chance to do. They all had dinner together, which I guess is a Sunday night kind of uh, odd thing for them to be able to have the time to do. And she said it was so great because we got everything done. We had family time. We got the chores done. We had dinner together. We even played a card game after TV or after watching uh, eating dinner together. So the goal is this, that, that, that the more we can take things from the Bible and from our conversations on Sunday and allow them to 
work their way out through our week, I think the greater our spiritual life will become, and, and from that, our, our natural life. So, amen, there we go. So I wanted to kind of jump into a particular subject, because last week we talked about how to be effective and how to you know, improve your life in some ways, and, and I wanted to get into how to balance that productiveness with rest. And as I started to think about all the things of rest, I just kind of kept hitting this wall of there's a subject that I really wanted to get into that wasn't so much on the subject of rest. And um, so I'm actually going to not talk about rest today, and I wanted to get into something else, okay? So I'm going to take a seat in this, this part of uh, the presentation because I think today is, is a, it's a subject that I've probably talked about with more people in the history of our church over the last seven years than probably any other topic because it's a, it's a topic that is always present to us. Jesus said that we'd have trouble in this life and that we would fall short of the glory. <laughs> so you're probably saying to me, hey, preacher, we need you to be a little bit more positive today. Let me be more positive. I promise you're going to have trouble, and I promise you're going to fall short in it. So with that, conflict comes up because our, our expectations can be missed and our, our feelings can be disappointed, and all of a sudden we don't experience the things we wanted to experience. So with all of that, um, there, 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 there becomes this thing that I think has properly defined that disappointment and that frustration and conflict we have in relationship. And it's the idea of, of cancel culture. And you know how it is. It's, it's like one thing that, that you have done that is, is adverse to culture, that everything else after that, you, you've just been eliminated. It doesn't matter how long of a career or what kind of character your life has been lined up to that point. One, one misstep, whether it was ignorance, whether it was just a, a lack of insightfulness, whether it was just incorrect behavior, there are things that then back us up. And um, probably about 15 years ago, I heard an incredible story where there was a pastor of a large church, a well-known pastor, had written books, was leading organizations in charge of large groups of, of, of churches throughout America, and he had a, an incredible fall from grace. I mean, his, his trouble that he created for himself was atrocious. He had to be removed from his position as a pastor and entered into a, 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 like a reconciliation program to get his life back in order with the same thing he'd been preaching. Well, the overseers to this church were meeting in a, a boardroom, and they were kind of going through all the disciplinary actions that they needed to have for this pastor. And one, one pastor of another big church was saying, well, we need to do this to that guy. And another pastor of the church said, well, we need to do this to that guy. And it went around the room, and it got to T.D. Jakes. And what I love about T.D. Jakes is he's kind of become the Yoda of our generation. He's this wise sage. Every word has impact. It's always articulated in such an incredible way. And when I got to him, T.D. Jakes says, well, boys, when I mess up, all I know is I hope none of you are on my disciplinary committee. Because as the, as the trouble of one individual went around the room, instead of looking about how we can stitch together their life, we just talked about how we could kind of isolate it off to a corner. So I'm going to talk about the subject of, of conflict today and how we need to balance that. And with that story fresh in your memory here, I want to look at our opening verse here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. And it's an interesting passage here because it gives the lens and the focus for where I want to take us today when it comes to how do we balance inner turmoil with, with outer relationships. Because we're going to have trouble and we're going to fall short. So how do we stitch those things together to move forward and not just say all things are thrown out in the past? So this is Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. He says, if you do not forgive others, in other words, if you do not excuse and pardon and let others have the grace and mercy they deserve, then your Father in heaven cannot forgive your transgressions. 
So in other words, if we feel separated in a relationship or we're unwilling to go back and make those things right, there's actually a gap that creates between us and the Father based on this gap that we have with a former friend, family member, or neighbor. And here's the real picture that, that in some ways or another, our culture when it comes to all things politics, all things race, all things COVID and vaccine, there's separations happening. And if you don't do this, then I can have nothing with you. It's, a, it's, it's a, an expression in culture that if we're not careful as a church, we'll pick it up as truth when it's not what Scripture says about how we deal with things that we disagree with. So the real tension here is that oftentimes we extend standards to others that we want them to meet, but when it comes to our life, we don't want that same standard expressed to us. And the easiest way I'll explain this that probably feels the most natural is when you're late to a meeting and you come in and everyone's around the conference table, it's like this, excuse me, pardon me, sorry. It was raining outside. The traffic was so backed up. It was an accident. I had to get around. I'm so sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. So that's the feeling you have when you walk in late to a meeting. But when it's your meeting and somebody else walks in late, your response is, yeah, it was raining this morning when I got here on time. Yeah, the traffic was backed up, but because I gave myself margin, I got here on time. Yeah, there was the accident. Because I left the house on time or early, I was able to endure that delay and got here on time. What's your excuse? So again, when it's, when it's someone else that's late, we hold this high standard. When we're late, oh, just, my kid got sick. I had the extra load of laundry. You just never believe what the dog was doing. Like we have all these reasons why we couldn't do it. So Thrive exists to help you grow in your next step. And every day or every Sunday we have uh, an idea that we want you to grow into. And here's where I think you can best take this idea and this message into your week and see an expression that will change the way you sort through conflict with family, with friends, with neighbors, with coworkers, with people in the church, and people you do life with. You'll grow in your next step with God today if we will deliver forgiveness to others differently, or we will deliver forgiveness to others differently if we carry it as our own personally. In other words, you have to look at the forgiveness you give to others as the same forgiveness you need for your own falling short of His glory because of the trouble he promised that you would also experience. Oftentimes, we carry forgiveness differently than how we want to receive it. And there's the real difficulty, because inside of this, Jesus also explained, a house divided against itself can't stand. So you and I can't be the strong witness for God's kingdom if we're divided within ourselves with how we exude forgiveness and how we receive forgiveness. So in the idea of balance, which is, this, this, um, this series that I wanted to kind of help you with time management, help you with personal discipleship, how to, uh, how to build in your discipline for life, I really, felt imp- in, 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 um, I really felt compelled, I guess, this week to talk about how do we face and balance biblical conflict. That if you're going to have conversations at work, if you're going to have difficulties along every aspect of life, how do we balance this? Now, there's two different terms of conflict management and conflict resolution that are out there. Conflict management is something used in the professional world because we realize different personalities, when there's goals and measures at work, we're going to have different times where conflict comes. So in a professional setting, a lot of times the phrase of conflict management is inserted because we've got to manage these temperaments that are put out there. I want to point you towards what Scripture would call conflict resolution. In other words, we can't avoid the collisions that are taking place. What we do have to do, though, is resolve them once they've taken place. And that's the difference of how Scripture leads us in conflict versus what I'm seeing in our culture these last, this last season, I guess, 
in a time where I think the church has to step up and step out into all the things that it's facing. Someone say amen. So if you've got your note sheets today or the, the, the note in um, events guides, if you didn't grab it on the way in, our ushers in the back will, can serve you with one. Just kind of raise your hand up. Uh, we've got the events, or the, the events, we've got the, um, the notes also in the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, also, uh, if you are new with us today, we encourage all of our guests to take the three-visit challenge. Check us out three times. You can register your visit with us by way of that Connect card. And um, the guest services team is trying to uh, connect with you to such a degree to where they're offering incentives. So if you'll turn in your Connect card as one of your first three visits, they'll give you your choice of a Chick-fil-A or a Starbucks gift card. Now, you can't walk out of here, walk back in, say, I'm a first-time guest now, I want my card, okay? You regulars, you're already stuck. But for the, for the new folks, we'd love to kind of bless you and, and connect with you. And if that would help you to connect, we'd love to connect with you. So I'm going to read here Matthew chapter 18. This is the classic passage we always talk about when it comes to conflict relationally. How does God want us to process through this? And I want to point out some things that I probably hadn't even looked at previously uh, in reading this passage and trying to help people through conflict to this point. I think even, even more recently here, I've been encouraged in something. So here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says, if your brother or sister sins, if there's trouble, if there's friction, if, there's, if something has happened, what's the first phrase here? Say it with me. We're to go and, and, and talk with them, to point it out with them individually, to let them know how they disappointed us or how we may have disappointed them, but to bring the conversation to them. And it's supposed to be just between you and the person that you're in conflict with. And here's a step that I want to get to here uh, in a minute and come back to, but here's our first step. We're supposed to go just between the two of them. If we can have this conversation, they listen to you, you listen to them, then we have, we, we have won the situation. And that's the, that was the real standout to me as I was looking at this passage again this week of there's supposed to be a win at the end of conflict. Not someone loses and someone wins, but a win-win. Like, I probably have to concede some feelings and some hurts and some difficulties, some standards that I held you to, to lower the bar to where I hold myself to, and in that, we're going to win together. But Scripture says this doesn't always happen. We don't always have a win here. So if we don't have a win here, we read on here in verse 16, and it says, listen, if we can't come to a resolution and there's not listening going back and forth, well, then we're going to take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I want you to put a pin in this thought here because I'm going to come back to this idea of the second step of conflict is to involve others to help us reason through it. That you need people in your camp that couldn't care more and couldn't care less about your situation. They're emotionally detached. They're not your cheerleaders, but they're a mediator that can speak um, um, with nonpartisan values towards the conflict that's happening. The third step, if this doesn't happen, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, it says, well, if they, if, if they still refuse to listen, then you take it to a larger audience. Then you take it to a larger situation to, to help contest out. Now, some people who are Bible scholars will say, oh, preacher, that's for Christians in the church. If I'm fighting with my boss who is not a Christian, how do I sort through this? So I, I think what you're going to see, this is Matthew 18, before we even get to Matthew chapter 18 and Matthew chapter 5, you see the heart of God pour out where he says, blessed are those who bring peace, who make peace, for they will be called children of God. God is giving a future tense to you and I being peacemakers, bringing the wind to a conflict, because he views every person, whether he's serving God with his life or not, as his child, and he wants us to bring peace so that we can have this, this family feeling together. 
This was God's heartbeat throughout the whole, the whole process. And if we're not careful, we turn this into this judicial process where we feel like there has to be a sentence and someone has to go to, to jail forever and someone has to die for the conflict that we've had. Can, can I get an amen? Like, yeah, when you've been hurt, like that's the kind of justice you want. But think about this. In our court system, a lot of the words in our court system are you are brought out from Scripture. I mean, God is oftentimes referred to as a judge. In, in a court system, you have a judge. We refer to the judge with words like your honor, just like God wants us to use words like father and God, and the most honorable. There are ideas like we have a testimony that we bring to the court. There's witness accounts that we share a story that we saw firsthand. There are ideas like even the court itself. Scripture refers to when we enter into the courts of praise of our father. Well, the judicial system has a court. There's a law. Scripture is referred to as a law. You see how the judicial system has pulled things from Scripture into how we enact the fact that we need to get along on stuff and not have friction. So as we go back here to Matthew chapter 18, with that court system in mind, the way we're supposed to go is first between the two of us, then we bring people into it to help establish the matters, then we go to the church. That's the order we go. In our current culture, typically we start with the bottom and we take it to social media the largest audience we can get a voice from. And we present, we present our case and our, our particular idea and the way we see it. And there's no balance in it because we went public first. Or maybe we bring it to the water cooler at work or we bring it to a group of friends at the barber shop or the, the, the beauty salon or whatever your place of, of, of circling up to kind of stir the fires of gossip is. Most times we go opposite of Scripture. We take it public first. Then we try to build an alliance before we ever, if we do, take it to the person. Normally how it gets back to the person is the fact that you've talked to others and others talk to others and others talk to others who talk to others. Then it gets back to the person who you've actually got the issue with. So where we have conflict in this life, it's not because we have the conflict, it's because we go about it the wrong way. So if you think about it back in the court system again, you'd never see the prosecution bringing a charge against someone without the defense also present. Why? Because if the prosecution brings their allegations, the defense has to be present to be able to say, Your Honor, I object. That's out of context. That's not, that's not conducive to this particular hearing here. And when the prosecution is done presenting their case, the defense can stand up and say, Well, this is my view of things. Here's my testimony, my witness. If the prosecution brings charges to the judge without the defense present, there's only one way to look in the one point of view that's being shared. And I don't think any of us want to go on trial in that kind of a situation, do we? I knew this was going to be heavy today, <laughs> but we're going to bring balance to our relationships. So Matthew chapter 18, as we go back here in verse 16, here's really what I want to kind of show. We oftentimes fail in bringing our, our complaint of someone to the person who, who is, is that complaint with. That's our first step. Another misstep happens when we decide to involve others because we haven't found resolution the person that we're having frustrations with. Now, where, where I see this scripture here is that with two or three others, we have to bring it to the person we're in conflict with so the matter can be established, which means you can't establish the matter with the person you're bringing to the point of conflict beforehand. Again, if you're my friend and I have a conflict with this person over here, if I tell you the story before we talk with him, then I've already persuaded you as to my side and you walk into the the group conversation with a one-way narrative as to how I see it. Instead, hey, we've got a conflict over here. Would you walk in and help mediate it with us? You're going to hear firsthand from both of us 
like a courtroom would where the prosecution and the defense can go ahead and share their trouble together. And we need you to help walk us through this conflict because we can't find resolution on our own. We don't take that step either oftentimes. Here's where we get out of, out of hand and where conflict really gets out of control is oftentimes when we, when we gossip, what Scripture refers to as gossip is witchcraft. It's, 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 it's as if we're placing a curse or casting a spell on someone because we're trying to change the narrative. The Greek word for gossip and for, for uh, witchcraft is kela, uh, let me get this right, kela law, kela law. I think that's how you feel. My, my Hebrew's a little rusty. Kela law. Um, it's funny that the word would have law in a L-A-W is the pronunciation, even though it's L-A-H, because we're trying to manipulate the events through half-truths, through whispers, and through secrets, and slandering the name of others. So instead of bringing it to where, hey, we just need you to walk through this situation, tell us how it is, we need you to, to kind of help us process, we try to influence the conversation before we have the conversation. I had a mentor one time, and I had to ask Tara for, for uh, confirmation of what, what it was. I had a mentor one time saying, in, in, in moments of gossip, when, when we have these conflicts in our family and our friends, and we start to, to whisper things to those that we're closest with, it's almost as if we're not looking for resolution. We're just looking for consensus. Agree with me as to why I'm hurt. Help feed my soul support because I don't want to change. I don't want to process this. I just want sympathy for why I feel this way. I'm not looking for consensus. I want this to be over. I want to see you in the store and not feel like I have to avoid you by walking down the other aisle. And here's where we miss it in our culture. And to pick on cancel culture, it's probably not the same thing, but that's a, a flash word right now. It's where one time you've got this one thing and want nothing to do with you. That's just not Scripture. I'm going to read real quickly here in Psalm chapter 109 where this, this gossip and, and witchcraft idea comes from. It's David here writing. He says, listen, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me and speaking against me in lying tongues. And I love this phrase he uses, they encircle me. And isn't that what gossip does? When you haven't gone to the person, the story just kind of goes around, and the, 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 the story changes and it catches fire and all of a sudden it's, it's the, the game of telephone has shifted it in such a way that there's nothing truthful about the story and the narrative that's out there. But look at how we've got to turn the corner here because David keeps writing here in verse 4 and he says, but I love them. That's a big statement when someone's encircling you with trouble and lies and deceit. David says, I love them. Try saying that in your prayer language next time, next time you're praying for that person who's you're in, you're in conflict with. I love them. They try to destroy me with accusations, even as, here's another big, big spiritual step, even though I'm praying for them. So David helps set the course for how we approach conflict, even when it's somebody that hurt us and that won't right the situation. So in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, going all the way back here, where, where Matthew outlines so much about conflict and so much how we process this, this is a classic phrase here that I want to help strengthen you with because I think it's a misquoted and mistaught phrase. We hear the phrase a lot of turn the other cheek, and here's where it comes from. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So in other words, no matter what bad is happening to you, you're not supposed to cancel them out. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. For so long, people have heard this as why Christians are, 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 are weak in the spine, because really we're just supposed to roll over and let you hit us again. So for example, if I were to invite you up here, which I'm not, stay in your seats please, but if I were to invite you up here to smack me across the right cheek, Scripture says I have to turn 
the other cheek. For whatever reason, the connotation to this point has been you just need to roll over, give him a second swing at it. What's actually happening inside this passage, if you smack me in the right cheek, there's going to be a mark, an abrasion, a swelling, a redness to my cheek. Out of Scripture's responsibility, I am to turn that away from you, to hide the, inf- the, the, the infraction from you, to give you now a, a fresh slate, as if to say, let's start again. That Jesus loves me so much, he took my sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. So I'm not going to let the pain you caused me get in, front of, get in between us. I'm going to turn that away from you. I want to start again with you. Just as my Lord started again with me when I turned my back on him, he gave me a fresh slate and said, just come back and repent. Let's try it again. Let's go again. Let's be born again. I'm going to give you a fresh slate, not to swing again, but so we can approach this resolution again. Someone say amen. Turning a cheek is a point of strength, not a point of weakness. It's you saying, I am so trusting God here that I am going to reveal myself in an intimate and vulnerable way and give myself up again. Here's the twist. Here's the turn that we need to make. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 also says this. And here's another, another tension we're going to feel in turning the cheek. Let no corrupting talk, or I'm sorry, let no, there we go, thank Good job. Wait, wait, wait to be on point there. No corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for, for building up. I'm going to come back to the difference of corrupting talk versus building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, there are times when your confrontation feels like corruptive tearing down talk. And if you're not careful, it can trend that way really easy because you're mad, you're upset, you're emotional. Your child shouldn't be acting this way. So you start using things like, you're acting just like your mother. I would never say that, though, okay? We, you don't say things like that. So there, there are times where the temptation is corrupting talk. Even when you're challenging someone to change, you can use words like, never do that again, versus, you know, I really believe that you have more in you. You can't do this. But I think there's greater inside of you. And it's a difference as the situation fits where I might take away freedoms and responsibilities and privileges in the hopes of building up, not just to pull someone down. That I want to rear my child by inviting them to a step higher and not bury them in a dungeon of being grounded. Some would say amen. As it fits the situation. Don't let corruptive talk come out, but even your corrective words have got to be building. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 then goes out of this huge story here. It says, since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Please hear me. Be encouraged by this, by this teaching, even as difficult as it can be at times. There's a balance to it. Um, what, what are we is plain to God. In other words, we can't hide our heart's content, our heart's intent. It's out there for him to see. And I hope it is also plain for your conscience as well. I hope you see this. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. He went to the cross so we wouldn't have to. Therefore, we're all dead to ourselves so we can serve him. Verse 16 then, here's the real, the real keeper. So we have stopped evaluating others from a, and there's where we get in trouble between corruptive talk and building up others because through our human perspective, we're evaluating whether or not what we saw was done right or wrong. And all of a sudden, we start processing with others, not that the, uh, that the uh, matter would be established in, the, in, the, in the, the, the company of other witnesses, but we start establishing 
our, our matter with others because we, we struggle with how it feels. So it's not about how you feel about it. It's what a Scripture say about it. In other words, I can have hurt feelings, but what does Scripture say about it? How is Scripture going to guide and condition my response versus letting my emotions come out of me and pour itself out of me? So this passage has a, a fabled uh, 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 sentence within it. It's one that we've probably all quoted at some point, and it's the next passage here, the next verse in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new cre- creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We love that passage. I'm, I'm past the old stuff. Can't, can't judge me by that. Only God can judge me. Here's, here's where all the self-righteous phrases come from, because we don't want to be identified with our old self, right? So verses 18 and 19 is the caveat to that. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Conflict resolution, not conflict management. Not counting people's sins against them, and he committed us to the same message of reconciliation that he's done for you and I. As he's drawn him, uh, ourselves back to him, he's inviting us to now draw ourselves back to those that we're in conflict with. That is the ministry he's endued you and I with. Now, we, we do not, we are, we are not afforded the privilege to walk around in conflict with people. We have to find ways to go to them just between the two of us to bring it to a close. If that doesn't work, bring some folks in to help speak to it. If that doesn't work, then we start to bring it to a larger audience. I don't think you'll have to do that if you go about it the right way. But here, here, is, here is kind of how we need to, to manage ourselves and keep our emotions in balance even as we go through something. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. This is Paul, the greatest apostle the Scripture's ever captured stories of. He's going through doing all these difficult things, incredible, incredible opposition to what he's facing, trying to build the church. So he writes this letter to the church at Corinth. He says, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. So in other words, he's done great things through me and for the kingdom as we try to build the church. For I have... I just love the humble brag here of, man, I have done more than all those knucklehead apostles who came before me, more than Peter, more than Matthew, more than James, John, Timothy, all the guys. Like, I've done more than all these guys, done more than all of them. Yet, it was not I, but God who is working through me by his grace. So if I can shorten the gap that I have in conflict with others, I actually tighten the gap that I have with God. And I love when, I honestly love, um, I love the subject of conflict because I think it's an opportunity to speak towards hurts that we carry in our heart. So I love to be confronted. I, I love to, to confront. Um, I love to be in, injected into situations that, that are in confrontation because it, it's, to me it's like an opportunity. So in these last 15 or 16 months, I've had more doctor's appointments than um, I could probably care to, to recount. And, um, you know, and so much of the medical field is, is not quite connected to the Lord. So a lot of times I have conversations with doctors and surgeons and uh, everything in between. It's like, oh, so, so you're a pastor? Like the, the, you have parishioners at your steeple? It's like that kind of, like totally disconnected. Like, well, I don't know that people at Thrive would call themselves a parishioner, and we definitely don't have a steeple. But, yeah, it's like, you know, we, we have people and we gather. And 
okay, that, that's, that, that's nice. That, that's really sweet. So, like, what do you do the rest of the week? You know, it's like that kind of conversation with a lot of the healthcare providers. <laughs> but anyway, there's this one guy um, that, 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 that I see, and he, he, he's obviously connected to faith in some way, but he's been hurt. He's, he's not connected to a church right now. He's very offended by some church. I don't know. I haven't asked the question. And uh, this past week, I'm in his office, and and, uh, you know, you're, you're in a vulnerable position, right? In a doctor's office, it's like just you and him. The door's closed. You're, like, next to naked. There's all kinds of tools over here. He could kill you at any point if he wanted to. So while he's got you at the table, he's asking a question. So, so preacher, like, you know, why am I just so hurt about this situation? Why am I so upset? Why, why can't I get over this? I don't, I don't want to connect to the church, so I don't want to get hurt again. And I followed back at him, and I, and I said this phrase to him. I said, even if you're right in the situation, you still have to get over it. Like, you still have to, even if you're right. And the treatment he was giving me, he stopped and he backed up and he kind of got vocal. I was like, oh my gosh, he was kind of mad, but he knew that that was a, a true thing for his heart. I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, because basically what I had to explain to him is, he, is, what I had to explain to him is, the gap that created between you and whoever this person of the church that you're, you're talking about is. It's not our church, some other church. I haven't asked him the name, I really don't care. The, 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 the names and details do not matter, it's a heart condition. You have distanced yourself from this person. In doing so, you've created a bigger distance between you and God. That's the bigger trouble here. And you're thinking about this person, the distance you have with him all day long, and every time I come in your office, you're bringing up the situation again and how you can get over it. Even if you're right and if they were wrong, you still have to get over it. In other words, going all the way back to Matthew chapter 18, you have to win them over. And to win them over, you've probably got to reduce a standard you've applied to them, and remember the grace and the standard that's been applied to you, and find some ability to agree. This is not agreeing to disagree. This is not going our separate ways. This is not, I'll forgive you, but won't forget about this. This is you and I saying, we're going to bury this thing. We're not going to run from it. We're not going to hide, because it doesn't actually go anywhere. It stays in our crawl. And the longer it's in your crawl, the longer it distances you from God. So fresh off my doctor's appointment this past week, I'm here to bring you the message I brought to him. I gave it to him in 60 seconds. I just gave it to you in about 30 minutes. <laughs> I hope you took good notes because I, I, I wrote this so late in the week that I didn't have a chance even to get the notes into the, the note sheet like I normally do. So maybe it's a, it's a podcast you go back and listen to this week. Maybe it's something you ruminate about this next week and think about the, the points of conflict that you have in this life because I'm telling you, it'll keep you from the grace that God has for you by you keeping yourself from the person you're in conflict with. So we could probably go through the story and think about aunts and uncles and parents and brothers and siblings and, and, and spouses and ex-spouses and former co-workers and old bosses and college room. I and mean, we could go through the whole thing. And there's someone in the back of your head whose name you still share in a sentence accompanied by a cuss word. I'm telling you, the longer that narrative ruminates in your heart the further you distance yourself from the things God has for you on the subject of grace. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you're at. I want to pray a prayer of, of grace over you to, for you to fully grab hold of this free gift that's been given to you. In fact, before I pray, just in the privacy of your own heart and your own mind and your own soul right now, I want you to think about a person who you're in current conflict with. I want you to see their face, to yourself, say their name, for a moment maybe reflect on what they did, and, and, and begin to bring out that situation you're thinking for a minute. 
And then with that, to freshen your mind, I want you now to also realize that God died for them too. And regardless of the level of their sin, that's why he went to the cross. Somewhere, if we're real with ourselves, we probably have that same infraction on our record as well. So Father, for the, the names and the faces that we're picturing right now, for the conflict that we're consciously or unconsciously reasoning through, for the trouble we're facing and feeling right now, God, may you bring it to closure. You asked us to win over the conflict, not with an iron fist, but to come together with the ministry of reconciliation, to not let corruptive talk come from our mouth, but only words of building up. God, compel our heart this week to circle back to this relationship and not circle around with gossip and witchcraft, but to actually come back to the relationship and find resolution and completion that even if we don't have an active part in the relationship, we know we're not carrying weight with one another any longer. God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Listen, if there's something we can help process and, and talk you through, the Connect card is the simplest way to, to give us your information so we can give a shout-out to you this week and follow up and find out if there's resources we can get you on forgiveness or to, to pray with you about something you're, you're, you're contemplating. Um, we want to help to partner with you. Furthermore, if it's something that we can just kind of help to, to consummate, many of us walk through situations and just need baptism to, to fully proclamate the, the public decision that we're making inside of our heart. We're not going to carry this dead weight with us anymore. That's what water baptism is. And we'll be celebrating water baptism next week. And if you want to get water baptized, you can also register on that Connect card. Before we get into the worship uh, session today, I'm going to invite you to, to stand up to your feet. And um, we're going to reconnect here in just a second for a reprise or, or uh, yeah, a reprise of the song that we just learned here this morning. And it's a song that, um, it's a song that's entitled Just Like Heaven. And I love, the, um, I love the language in it because it talks about being holy, which when it comes to conflict is oftentimes where we don't feel wholeness. And uh, the, the song's lyrics say, come a little closer, stay a little longer, I can't get enough of you. And in conflict, our language looks a little bit more like, get away from me, I've had enough of you, I'm not whole, I'm broken, I'm incomplete. So as we sing this song here today, and the worship team, you guys can come on out. I think we're coming. Come on, guys. As we sing this song here today, um, I want you to, to think about that relationship, that, that situation, that hurt. And let's put it to rest at least in our heart this morning. Perhaps it's super heavy. You just need help unlifting these things. Our prayer partners will be up here uh, on the side of either stage during the song. And if you want to pray about it, you can, you can you know, talk about it in, in idea only. You don't have to name it and name the situation. In fact, I would encourage you not to. But God knows the situation. And where two or three gather and agree on one thing, the scripture says God's in the midst of that. So if you're, fa if you're experiencing an elimination of God in a situation, let's pray that back in. That's our hope here today, that you would be able to answer this question of who is it that you're in this conflict relationship with? Who is it? Because we shouldn't walk out of here carrying that hurt and that pain any longer. We should walk out of here with some missions of going to close that gap to heal the hurt to truly bury the hatchet. Amen? So Father, we thank you for this in, in your precious Son's name, that we could sing about your love, that we could sing about your presence. Oh God, we could step into a, an idea, God, that we could come closer, that we could get more near, that we could stay longer, that we could 
could actually experience relationship again with people we've been distanced from. God, we don't want to be absent from you in any facet of our life. And it doesn't mean we've lost our salvation, but there's a part of our trust in you we've lost because of this distrust that we've extended towards another relationship. So God, if, to, if there's uh, uh, work we could do today in, in receiving forgiveness and extending forgiveness in prayer, God, help us this day to do that.